Afghanistan's happened by one say that's a witty intro. <laughs> no, neither, neither would I. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, how are you anyway, Jonathan? Let's just let's just start with that. Um, very good. I went um, just got back from gym for an hour, hour and a half ago, maybe two hours ago. It was a good session. Did you get a good? I, did you get a good pump on? Well, when in my because this is a strange one. Went to bed Monday. No problems. Woke up Tuesday morning with a swollen knee. Happens. And it did. Does it? Yeah. I've never had it. Yeah. I've had that before. Random, yeah. random, just, I think it's joints as well, especially just random kind of like pains where I'm like, mm, I have no idea how or when that happened, but. Couldn't walk in it. Hmm. Swollen, I think it swelled. It's twice the size of my other knee. It just kept getting worse in the day. And then. It stayed the same the day after, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then it sort of eased off considerably on the Thursday. And it's got better since. So I did my first leg session today, just getting some blood in there, and uh, seemed to be okay. But very yeah. strange. It is strange. I've, um, I, I don't know if you remember, a while ago I had like a, a long-term knee injury that I nearly got to a point where I thought I'm going to have to get some referral here and get someone to look at it properly. Whether it, And I kind of felt like physio wasn't going to be the answer that I was going to need it, some sort of MRI because I, I felt structurally yeah. a problem. But that came about and that, I, I, that ended up being for, like, I don't know, six months of a problem. Like I could train around it and do bits and stuff, but um, for six months I had a problem. And that all came about one day walking home from uh, a McDonald's restaurant with my mother and my two children, which just turned into McDonald's for lunch, and no, no idea at all how or when what happened. But I suddenly, just suddenly, um, out of nowhere, just thought my knee feels a bit like odd or painful. I don't know what's happened. And then, yeah, that, that just got worse over that day. And then I must have suffered for about six months until eventually it just disappeared. Strange, so, yeah. Strange. Very strange. But I've had, I've had same periods where I've woke woken up and tried to like I don't know go to a train station thought oh my knee feels tight or swollen all of a sudden and um, it's caused maybe a couple of days of, of having to kind of either let's say train around it or just limiting what I can do potentially on it and then to out of nowhere just disappear again just as as fast as it came the body is very uh, very strange on times I gotta say it is very strange but um, yes oh well I hope you did at least get a decent pump I don't know if that sounded disgusting well, I said, I did you get a pump? But then uh, bodybuilding, more people into weight training will, will know what I mean. Pump is good. I did. I got, I got a nice pump. It's boiling in the gym. I sweat my head off. Then I went in a nice cold shower then to cool down. Lovely mm. it was. I, I think... Gym. Sorry, mate. I was nice to talk to you right there. But I think uh, one of my favourite almost like... Uh, um, like biofeedback type things is is a pump. And obviously, there's many measures that you can try to kind of give in terms of like biological. I think that's the right phrase. Biological feedback. So like kind of the feed the the things the feedbacks you get kind of physical feedbacks from from like training that you get to know whether you had a decent session or not, or whether you can kind of judge whether you improved. So that's less the you know the numbers on the the on your logbook in terms of beating performance and stuff, and more like in the inter in session stuff of did you get a pump? Do you feel any muscle disruption? Um, you know the DOMS, you know afterwards that type of stuff. So some of that like kind of biofeedback markers that you would look at in terms of judging someone's uh, efficacy of a training session. I think the pump's the best one. I think because I mean don't wrong, you can obviously get a pump and it not be a training session that obviously means it's going to be a good necessary good one or one that is, includes some progression. But I think it's one of the better markers, as in if you're not getting a pump, probably tells you something something's off. I always find I don't get much of a pump if I go really heavy. Not that I go really heavy anymore, but I think that's quite normal. Yeah, I think I when, you, when you're talking about pump and kind of almost by proxy, my muscle connection. I think when you go heavier, people do struggle more. Yeah, if you're in the, if you're in the double digit rep range, you should be alright for a pump. Well, you'd hope so, no. but. Uh, and, the, and the gym I go to now which has so much kids in it as well mm. it's, 
got a uh, what's what they call, call it a vertical leg press. Mm-hmm. You lay your back and the, the obviously the pad is above you. Yeah, that's. Is it a plate? That's obviously like one of the plate loaded ones where. Yeah, you, loaded, yeah. You often see like, oh look at me, Billy Big Balls, because you know Billy Big Balls got three hundred kilos of fucking plate stacked on it, and his mate standing on top as well for a laugh. Yeah, I think because I've used it before. I tend to find it. I don't know whether it's just because the way it was. It was. It was always like twenty-five year old this thing was. But from my background, and come up with this one. You were solid in it. <clears throat> it feels a lot more because I thought that I can use that because it's got a lot of pressure in the lower back. But it feels pretty comfortable. Not that I'm going heavy, heavy, and then just going slow, going deep. And uh, You're turning me on here, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> not hard. Not not. Uh, Fast and shallow. <laughs> um, I don't know if any woman likes it fast and shallow. <laughs> oh, that sounds horrendous. I wouldn't even know what it's like anyway. I've got two children. Jim has got a, a, a standing leg girl, a seated leg girl. Um, where else have we got in there? Honestly, Jolly, you, you give me a boner right here. I've got a home gym with none of like a, with a barbell and some dumbbells and. Because I'm very lucky, a uh, bench with a leg extension and curl uh, like extension on it. That's no. it. So there's also, there's also a lion leg curl, a single lion leg curl, a double, a normal lion leg curl. So they got five hamstring machines there. They got one, two, three hip thrust machines. Um, they got some very. They got a decline chest machine yeah, very good I like that who needs that though I do like that though obviously it's all your chest it's just the way it feels on my shoulders and my elbows much better um, there's loads they call it a power row it's like a, seat, it's like a higher seated row they got a, they got a low row machine that's also very good they got a tricep extension machine your elbows are supported so it isn't, there's no pressure on your, on your elbows at all. Yeah, I sometimes, I sometimes mimic that with a cable at home sometimes yeah. on a bench, and it does feel nice because you do feel like you're really isolating the triceps as yeah. well. Yeah. You got, I'm doing, they got one, two, I think four squat racks, three benches or four benches, dumbbells up to 80 kilos, uh, an octagon, jiu-jitsu mats, mm-hmm. Boxing ring, a functional rig, as they you know the big huge fucking giant things. People yeah. just fanning about them. Loads of shit in there. I think I'd be honest. I think if uh, if you're really into fitness and you're really into bodybuilding, you're really into kind of just you know equipment. We've just provided some people with some real, real, real entertainment right there. Apparently, the well, the guy you know the guy who owns the gym. He was. He started off in a small gym near me, but he's he's got into this like a huge place. But apparently, the people who, who kitted his gym out, Pan Panetta, Panetta Italian, Italian Panetta, something like that. They say it's one of the best gyms they ever kitted out in the world. Well, sounds it sounds delightful. And when I'm your way, maybe I'll make a visit. You should do it's fucking awesome. It is it is a panacational. Which you know, yeah, right. in South Wales is very steep. But if that's London, that's peanuts. Well, for, I mean, if by a session, do you mean like a day pass or day pass? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's nothing. That's next to nothing, mate. It's quite steep around here. Yeah. Well, you do you do live in like I don't know what what do they call it around your way in the, the, the Bay Area, Cardiff? I know you don't live in the Cardiff the Bay, but that's kind of South Wales. What do they call? What's Glamorgan in there? There must be some sort of derogatory term for it, surely. Cunts. Yeah, okay, let's give it that. Speaking of cunts and sheep shaggers, um, when you were 18, <laughs> what? It, oh, that's really terrible segue. Sorry, I apologise, listeners, that was fucking terrible. But basically, me and Johnny wanted to talk about. Sorry, go on. Go on, mate. I don't get offended, you know this. No, I know that. Um, I, the, the listeners might be offended from my absolute appalling attempt at segueing that into a topic today but there we go um we want to talk about um interesting thing really i quite like the idea johnny came up with this so all credit to you mate that what would we want to tell our eight ten year old selves if we could go back in time and uh 
and obviously give them a few nuggets of advice. I thought, do you know what? That's quite a nice. That's a quite a cool thing to think about and, and talk about. So here we are. We're going to talk about it. What I would say is, first and off, stay a virgin to at least thirty. Don't give all women at all. Save loads of money and be rich when you're thirty and retire. <laughs> I thought we'd probably at least make this fitness and nutrition related, but okay, <laughs> we, can, we can we can do it just general well-being. That was a joke. No, I know. Um, cool. Can you imagine being a virgin to your thirty though? Like as a boy, I imagine that's quite the tormented kind of state. I imagine that's quite a difficult thing to kind of live with. Because you know, horny little teenagers, which is basically why I'm so scared of my two girls growing up, because I know what horny little teenagers are like. Put them in jujitsu so they look at the strangler and they can eat them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned that, funny enough, to Jenna yesterday. I said there's a there's a kids class on the session before when mine starts. And uh, she's like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? She said, no. I was like, well, can I just ask Summer first? You don't get to decide. Can we... Can we can, let's see if someone wants to do it? Because I thought she might enjoy it. So she's like, "Well, you can," but I know she's going to say no. I was like, "Well, she might do," but I thought because we talked about this, didn't we? I think the benefits for children are far children. outweigh anything else in lots of well, maybe it's a bit of an extreme statement, but I think there's a lot of benefits that can be transferred over to just kind of general strength as a character for a woman that would be really positive, rather than things like dancing and gymnastics and stuff that also I guess is a bit more um, culturally done by or, or pushed by women and mothers because obviously most women like you know culture again will be pushing them to those types of classes they ain't gonna be taking jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu course are they no but definitely for their confidence as they grow so often in life do people maybe not say something <clears throat> not stand up for themselves not intervene for the for the fear of physical retaliation because that's fundamentally what people are scared of in it, in general life. I'm not going to get involved with that because of the potential of what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to tell this person to stop bullying me because I'm afraid of what he's going to do or she. When you've got the confidence to know you can put someone to sleep with relative ease, then you you you, you take maybe not all of it. You take a lot of those moments away, and I think life's better with it. Entry. yeah i agree um let's so Back let's there. let's let's take this to let's let's you start with your first so obviously we've had some musings but we haven't discussed so this is, this could be interesting so what's the first thing that you would go back and tell your 18 year old self or anyone now who's at a young age and wants to take advantage of other people's mistakes this is for in gym uh with weight training and from the very get-go concentrate on your form on everything you do do not chase weight on the bar and sacrifice form because even though it might look good in your head to go and bench 100 kilos with horrific form your body will not thank you for it 10 years down the line and the more the less injury you can have in a training career the more progress you're going to make and when you're injured and you love the gym, it's not very good because you can't train. It may even impact other parts of your life, all because you've sacrificed your form to chase weight. Because when form is correct, over time, weight will come anyway. Because so I've seen people in the gym, kids, I say kids, even people in their, I've seen people in their 30s with mine, not warm up at all, and look in a bar and bench for one rep, I'm like, how has your pecs not ripped off? Mm. So that's, that, was, that would be my first one, because you could save yourself a lot of aggravation with your elbows, shoulders, later on in life by not doing stupid shit when you're younger. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good one. I would absolutely concur. That's something I wish that, even though it's not necessarily on my list, uh, I wish that I had paid more attention to. Um, I think, I don't know, I guess a lot of people get into the gym, don't they? And they just they don't seek any real support or help, like certainly I didn't anyway. And 
you kind of your typical gym girl they join gym and start lifting weights they don't really know what they're doing they just go around a few machines maybe see a few videos get a few or watch a few other people around the gym and just try to start to expand and do some other stuff and you don't really learn the technical or scientific principles of kind of weight training uh, or resistance training um no. like you're not going to suddenly start thinking at that age oh, i'm going to start getting out some papers and having a look at what might promote the most hypertrophy and you know looking at range of motion and all this type of stuff and you know i i didn't i don't think i was until my late 20s early 30s probably even that i even knew what caused muscle to grow like not that we even know now necessarily but as in like you know kind of the, the hypothesis of well schoenfeld's paper and the kind of three principles or three main drivers of hypertrophy um yeah. i know they're still kind of i think we're pretty set that mechanical tension seems to be the biggest driver um out of the three but they're kind of when when those three were suggested as kind of the key drivers for hypertrophy like i didn't know any like any realms of that whatsoever like in my teens to, in probably even 20s so i kind of thought oh yeah you pick up weights and you lift some stuff until you know you do this muscle damage thing and then your, your muscles repair and grow stronger like I, I still hear that now about like fitness professionals saying about how you know the way hypertrophy works is you create little miniature muscle tears and those muscle tears then kind of heal and grow back stronger which isn't even true so um yeah it's it's crazy really isn't it and like that sort of stuff you just mm. wish you knew from the start because things like full range of motion control over movements um like almost to, to a point where you want to make things less efficient because the le more the more the less of or the more efficient you make something the less stimulus there is on a muscle you know in general terms so you almost kind of want to make yeah. things less of less efficient you can use less weight you create obviously um less stimulus to fatigue um or less fatigue to stimulus i should say the other way around but obviously you create more stimulus to less fatigue and you should get better results out of it and obviously the, the literature out there shows very much that these types of things are better for hypertrophy like full range of motion for most cases is better for hypertrophy than not full range of motion so in the same way as obviously like momentum is going to be the thing that takes away mechanical tension if you're swinging a weight around you're going to be mm. taking away mechanical tension which is obviously the key drive so for anyone that wants to go in a gym like a lot of us did and just get big or jacked like, I just wish you knew these things when you were a lot younger because obviously you'd save yourself a lot of time, a lot of training effort, a lot of heartache and a lot of like disappointment because you just, oh, why aren't I getting the results I want? Yeah, absolutely. Good one. Good one. Good start. <laughs> What's your first one? Um, My first one I put, and I think this is the biggest one, which was first, because the first that came to mind is like, I think I wish I cared less about what people thought yeah and That's i think and i think obviously i guess that can be applied to loads of stuff but i was thinking more specifically around like when i was growing up as a teen and when i then started to come overweight and stuff i was like ultra paranoid about what people thought like i would you know typical things on holidays like felt uncomfortable as hell you know not it's probably not like horrendously different than what a lot of people might even think about now but i you know i was uncomfortable taking my shirt off um i i always thought like i was uncomfortable about people thinking that i was either overweight not fit couldn't play football just all the things as a young teen that i used to be and then wasn't so and i kind of like I, I look back now and think like it probably held me back quite a lot worrying what other people thought all the time but there's also a part of me that thinks actually maybe that's what kind of drove me to over a long period of time by, by any stretch but drove me to start to get into fitness nutrition and health because I guess I cared about what other people thought. Like, if I didn't care, maybe I wouldn't have, um, you know, made the changes. You know, kind of created the education that I now have. If I didn't, if I did care, you know, if I didn't care what people thought. But um, so I'm, I guess that is actually kind of a funny one because there's there's definitely me that I, I wish I cared less about what people think, so I could just get on and concentrate on doing the right things. But then there's also sort of like I wonder, is it one of those things where you have to kind of learn from that experience because otherwise you wouldn't do the things. That is a good point because often you, oh, you shouldn't care what people think. Well, as as easy as a statement as does to make, it doesn't. It's very difficult in reality. In it, what it what it should be is only care what the closest people to you think. Because hmm. if they said, look, whatever, when you're close, mates, you say, look, mate, you're a bit fat, so shit out. 
you could say and it's not it doesn't get well for my image it wouldn't be that offensive but like it's like in life it's like in everything in there you shouldn't care about some random on the street or someone on Instagram or Facebook you shouldn't care you shouldn't care at all about what they say whatsoever you should care in some fashion about what close people friends especially say to you so yes it's a different one but a good one I think yeah like I said and as I spoke through it it's interesting to think about actually how there is almost like a not dual meaning to it but obviously there, there are two sides to it in terms of like yes there are some positive things to kind of not caring what people think about you um, there's also some negatives potentially as well and it, I think you know. I even think about like you know the the realms or elements of caring about what other people think. That kind of falls in the same lines when you know I've heard people um, talk about how fat shaming. You kind of get two sides of fat shaming and saying like that you know some people say that you have to fat shame people to spur their interaction, and it comes from a place of love, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, but I guess obviously it kind of falls into that realm of like if you know if someone cares enough to then make some helpful life changing changes. Then it's hard. Then you could say, "Oh, maybe that's a good thing." I, I, obviously, I'm not suggesting fat shaming and and, and uh, what's the word? Not condemning. What's the opposite of condemning? Um, I'm not saying fat shaming is okay. Don't go do that. <laughs> but there is an element of like, obviously, when someone cares about what other people think, some people will take that and use that as motivation to then kind of make some, you know, in air quotes, positive changes to their life. Perhaps, in I suppose, on reflection, perhaps that was something that I did because I cared so much. Then, yeah, I did make some kind of what I would now see as more positive changes but I think there's also an element obviously if I did care less about what people think I would perhaps make if I was focused right I would have made kind of better changes rather than being influenced by other people or yeah. influenced by what I you know like what what I thought other people thought of me if that makes sense yeah it does people do people do things they don't want to do because of other because of what other people think today or other people say yeah. or what we interpret they go going to say or think yeah um, it, it shouldn't be like that, should it? But it's easy, again, it's easy, that's easy for you to say, in it? But no. I, I've got, uh, and I've got, I've got an easy example of kind of like what I might mean by that in terms of like caring what other people think. You know, like going back to your point about lifting and like kind of in the gym. Like when you care what other people in the gym think of you, you know, your ego comes into play. You start lifting stupid heavy weights because you're worried about people thinking you're weak as piss. I've certainly done that loads of times and obviously I've then fallen into that my form was appalling terrible high injury risk low stimulus to, to fatigue because I've thought mm, I can't do this deadlift with only 60 kilos on it because obviously there's a guy over there doing 120 or 150 and I'm going to look weak as piss and it's you know you fall into that trap of thinking oh, I'm going to stick some more wet in the bar and just then end up just butchering the form completely and that's an easy example of kind of care what other people think lead you down the wrong path. That's, a, that's also a, a symptom of being young as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like I had lifted properly in a long time. I, I'm fairly confident I still do 140, 160. Not that I was heavy, like, but I couldn't give two shits if I was a 20 year old doing 250. I'm like, well done. I can't do that. But that's, that's the thing. When you grow up today, you just, you just care. Like gives a shit about that. Like. Yeah, I, I think there's a level of inexperience and therefore perspective that you don't have when you're obviously a lot younger. When you're a bit older, you have the real perspective of kind of the context of it all, realizing that it just doesn't fucking matter how much you can lift. Like there are no, unless you're a competitive powerlifter or you know, insert whatever in terms of um, what the, the actual like priority we're talking about here. But let's just talk about lifting. Um, unless you're a competitive powerlifter and you're getting paid money to do so or you know it's your livelihood or whatever same with bodybuilding unless you're like a competitive bodybuilder and you're getting paid lots of money to do it like why the fuck do you care so much about it like it isn't something you should put everything into and care about so much absolutely not that is correct but I think when you're young unless something dramatically happens to you which makes you aware of your mortality for one if something like that happens to you you tend to find they do care less you see that when people get older, something happens to someone close to them, and you think, oof, they could have died, they, they could have died, or someone has died. Then it's sort of you you see the change of they like, well, why am I worrying about that? I could be dead tomorrow. But I don't think that your your mortality comes into when you're 18. So you just think I'm gonna live forever. 
when you grow older, you tend to think, well, I'm not going to live forever. And things that happen when you're older, obviously, as people get older. And I do find people care less about stupid shit. So, but, you know, not many teenagers <clears throat> think like that today. They do care about, like, to us, stupid shit. Yep. What's number two on your list? <clears throat> Ignore 99% of what you see is on social media regarding diet, training, etc. And especially don't listen to any pro bodybuilders. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I agree with the sentiment. My, uh, my brain, in terms of kind of causing some debate, thinks if people do that, though, um, how do they know where then to listen to, or what 1% to listen to? That's always the problem, is it? Because when, when people say about, like, obviously, you know, oh, you know, the information you have out there is bullshit, like most of it's crap, the question is, okay, well, how do I know if it's actually any good then? And it's a really difficult question to answer, isn't it? Like, how does someone... Because you can't just go, oh, follow an evidence-based person, because obviously that doesn't work. Or you, you can't just say, oh, well, follow me, because that doesn't work. Um, so to start to, to get someone into like, okay, let's let's try to give someone some nudge or point in the right direction in terms of um, evidence-based, legitimate information is a really difficult thing to do. Oh, yeah. And was Lyle McDonald when we were 18? On the internet, I think he probably was early like DZ was there around. So talking to ourselves, go and find on the internet Lyle McDonald. And that that should be it. Ignore everything else. You would be a hundred times better off than listening to anybody on Instagram. I see anyone. The majority. I should have thought if you would you be any worse off as an eighteen year old? Not not going on social media whatsoever and learning anything about training whatsoever and just trying to find books. What would you be better off? I think you'd be better off looking at books. Probably. Um, well, even then, I don't know. Actually, I, I guess if you if you're kind of talking about legitimate textbooks, but then how do you find the legitimate textbooks? Well, exactly. And how, and how do you, yeah? How do you not end up in the uh, the the fiction section or the fiction section of Waterstones or you know your your bookstore where it's got your uh, Duke and Diet and carbs wheat belly and carbs make you well yeah there's all that, yeah. fat type books and so you, you it is a difficult one because I guess it's a, that even though I I kind of I get what you're saying I think that still has its own issues um I. I'm a- a lot. To be honest, I think the one of the easiest things in terms of kind of having a bit of a bullshit sensor is like, if if, if there if there are any absolute stated, probably wrong. I think if if someone starts, if you ask someone a question or you look at their work and their answers or work starts with kind of a it depends type thing or a context type thing, then as in like you know they give a lot of context around why a specific thing is a specific thing. That's kind of like a good green flag. If it's a, you know. You should never eat carbs. Carbs are bad. That's probably a big red flag because it's so absolute. It probably means that because you could probably say that most things you can, you can almost justify anything in any scenario within fitness and nutrition. Like literally, almost there's almost a justification to have any type of intervention, protocol, strategy, whatever you want to call it. But there's, I guess, very few people that. Um, well, there's very few times where you can say like an absolute will be across everybody. As in, you know, yeah. like you know, you can't ever say like carbs are bad because it won't be carbs won't ever be bad for everybody. There will be some scenarios where you can justify carbs are bad for some people, but obviously, oh, yeah. it's not. It's obviously the the minority. I guess it's kind of what what I'm trying to say is like there will be you can you can almost find a justification for a statement of some sort which sounds ludicrous. There'll always be a scenario with context that will justify a a thing, but. Because obviously it's very, very rare and all the context would be required to do that. When you hear experts and people speak about things, they will only ever speak in absolutes in very, very rare circumstances or with lots of context to, to, to that scenario. Otherwise, it will always be a it depends or perhaps or a maybe or a in this scenario type answer. I think that's, a, that's kind of like a good like bullshit omer type thing. If someone's speaking absolutes, immediately go, I might smell a bit of bullshit. If you say what if enough times, you can make anything plausible. You know, you, 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 you what, what, what if? Or what about that? 
But what if you can go so far and you're like, yeah, like whatever, cards make you fat, whatever. Mm. You can almost say anything. And then, <clears throat> which other one? It's intelligent people are always unsure, and stupid people are very cocksure. And you see that, you see that so much. I've, I've watched people in Facebook feeds try and dismantle a highly, high, like one of the leading, the leading lights, the professors of a particular field, and they are trying to say they are wrong and bringing up some fucking driveling, like, are you stupid? Yeah, you are stupid. But it's, they don't recognise it, like Dunning Kruger, they just don't even know they don't even know they're stupid. They don't know you're the stupidest person in the room, yet they think they're the most intelligent, which happens a lot. It's, in two scenarios in my life, I, you see it. In two areas, I've seen it a huge amount. Fitness and nutrition and the current COVID crisis. In those two scenarios, I've seen so, so many stupid people think they're the most intelligent in the room. It's absolutely incredible. But anyway... Well, um, a little bit of com- a little bit of knowledge obviously leads to an overload of confidence in in a lot of people, unfortunately. And, and obviously, I include myself in that. Like when you first learn a bit about stuff, you do you don't realise how much other stuff you don't know until you start to realise, ah, there's a lot more I don't know actually than I than I thought there was, and therefore I realise that how little I actually know of, of a given subject. But mm. My next one, that was me next, wasn't it? Um, you're not likely to be jacked after one month of training. I wish someone whispered that in my ear. Yeah, cause that is true. People do think, oh, I'll do this 12-week programme or 8-week programme or 10-week this or 10-week that. Oh, yeah, I'll, tr- I'll totally transform the way I look. He's like, you won't. You probably won't look any different. Mm. If, you, if you look at that muscle gain, anyway. Mm. You've know, I- lost four weeks. Make these good progress in four weeks, but you won't dramatically change how you look. I think when I first started doing weights when I was in my early 20s probably actually no probably late teens early 20s when I you know I did a load of cardio and then perhaps went in the weights room and did a couple of sets of bicep curls and a shoulder press or something but um, I kind of thought then that yeah you know doing all the cardio I'm going to get stripped I'm going to get diced and then I'm going to you know the little bit of weights afterwards going to give me some jacked arms and shoulders or whatever else Um, obviously because yeah I only did that because yeah, I didn't want to get too big, you know. I didn't want to look. I want to look shredded. I didn't want to look chunky. You know, I didn't want to just look big. Um, it's just ridiculous to even think that I'd ever get big or look big. <laughs> just doing, you know, a few sets of bicep curls. Um, I I think like the reason I'd like to know that now is because it's something like. I think you really have to certainly working with clients in kind of with muscle gain type goals, the. If 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 they're re- relatively novice or, or even not relatively novice, sometimes even you know intermediate and higher types of people, sometimes even then though you have to really kind of manage expectations around how long it takes to build a substantial amount of muscle to even have any kind of like visual physical difference. Um, and the and the reason being, if you don't, people will kind of give up too soon because they'll underestimate how long it take, and when they don't see the results that their expectations are, are thought, they will then give up. I think obviously being open and upfront about it in the first place will just hopefully get people to align a bit more their expectations and therefore stick or stay the course longer because that's basically what it takes. You show people on Instagram or social media, you say, right, okay, show me who you want to look like. Okay, that, that person's been training for 15 years, perhaps even using drugs, I don't know. But when someone says like that's 15 years investment, you kind of then realise like how, how much people want this and how much they don't. And I think I wish I knew that when I was a lot younger. I think my next one actually ties in with that. In a way, you are not going to be Mr. Olympia, so don't do stupid shit. Yeah. Because people, like you just said, that people think I do, I want to be big, and they just got a, 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 they're delusional. Like we all are when we start training. You're delusional to to, to think that you're going to make you're going to go from whatever a 12-stone man to an 18-stone man in a year of muscle. It won't, it won't happen. It will not happen. If you gain, if you went from 12 to 15 stone a year of muscle, you will probably be a professional bodybuilder. So you're like, okay. 
So if the, if it, within the first year you have made enormous, enormous progress, like Jesus Christ, what does this guy take in? And you're natural, then you might be a pro. But the chance, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us will never, ever, ever be at the top level of bodybuilding. So don't even bother. Try to get to that level because you have to do things to get to that level that make the pursuit of bodybuilding become very, very unhealthy psychologically and biologically when you start smashing loads of steroids. Which people, a lot of people will experiment, especially now when it's much, much easier to get and a lot more people know they know what they are does that mean they don't know how to use them? And a lot of people do it without really understanding the health consequences because they believe they can be, they can be, they can have a physique they really can't get because they haven't got the genetics for it. So no matter what they do, you will never be. That might be, that might sound defeatist a lot of these, you know, a lot of bodybuilders. However, it's reality. And for the majority of people, you would not want to live a life of a professional bodybuilder. I think um depends. I don't know if it, it depends on what you mean by professional. I guess if you mean just getting like a pro card with an organization, I think that's a lot easier yeah. than, than maybe what you might think. And to, I say, I mean, it's not easy by any stretch. And obviously, even getting on stage is quite the achievement you're obviously then even on stage relying on not someone just bigger better you know more muscular than you more conditioned than you posing better than you just turn up on the day because obviously you can be you can be your absolute best and then either no one else turns up and great you win or absolute phenoms turn up and you're just shit out of luck that just someone have to be better and there'll always probably be someone better than you unless you are literally the you know like you said the not point not 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 one percent in the world so I guess getting like a pro card as such, you know, in air quotes, is is a bit easier. I think if you mean by pro, like which I think you're suggesting, you're like top top level where it's kind of like that is your job and your livelihood is is about a bodybuilder. Then yeah, like you're talking like next to nobody. You know, a handful of people in the world can actually say they legitimately make their living from being a bodybuilder. You, it's like how many people from the UK since the 70s have been in the top 10 in the world of bodybuilding. It's probably not that many. Can't think of any. Well, you've got Jordan Yates. You'd have um, Flex Lewis from Wales. Oh, yeah, uh, Flex from Wales. Yeah. Paul Grant from Wales. I, don't, I think he was top I think it was in Franco's class. He's in a smaller class in the seventies. Um, who else you got from England? I'm impressed by your um, bodybuilder knowledge because it's better than mine. So you're talking a handful in mm. the last fifty years. Yeah. And I think uh, you know right. you're you're obviously talking kind of the the heavier weight, Mr. Olympia type. Yeah. bodybuilders as well they're the ones that seem to carry the more attention the more publicity therefore the more money stuff like that i think when you kind of go down to some of the ranks and stuff again don't make they never make enough money just from pro bodybuilding alone to survive in terms of you know, an actual living no it's only really kind of like your your mr olympia's the only people that you could say they've probably got full-time jobs being a bodybuilder and then, okay some will get other they'll do other things sponsorships endorsements some will do you know other other jobs inside fitness industries as such but being a pure bodybuilder making a living still very rare i think oh yeah big time yeah. and you look when people have died recently a lot a lot of bodybuilders are dying a lot females and males you're thinking why and these these guys are not the top these i think the women are either these men and women are not even in the top 10 in the Olympia. I'm like, why are you killing yourself for it? If we're in the top 10, you've been training 20 years, you would never be in the top 10. Never. I know this is a very defeatist attitude, but you've got to understand that genetics play a critical role in being the top 10 or 20 in the world. From the Olympia stage, you've got, you've got, as you've got that almost, you've got that 100 million to one genetics 
to be in the top 20 in the world of the Olymp- of Olympia. So why do people kill themselves for it? Especially women. There's more money in it for men. For women, there's nothing in it. That makes it, what, what for? What are you doing? And I think if you can get into, into a, a teenager's head, look, you want to be, you will never get there unless you can, unless you gain in two or three stone in the first year and you're like, Jesus Christ, you look, you've been training 10 years, then you might. But just, just compete with yourself and ignore outside influences that make you believe that you could be professional bodybuilder and make money on it. When I started training, a few people wanted, I want to be massive. There's like, chances, slim. This guy, he was, he was big. He was big for, he was a t- teenager, 18, 19, very big for his age, but he's like, you know, he's not ever going to professional bodybuilder. There's a guy by me, he was, at the time, I was old, I, I was about, 25, he was 19. He was six foot seven and 21 stone at 19 years old with abs. With abs. He's a freak. But he never hit a professional. Not said he wanted to, but even at that level of physique at a teenager, it's unheard of. Most of the reason he's at the thought the one in a million guy. So even the one in a million guy, it's not going to get mm. the top. And that's a one in a million genetics. Yeah. Um, next one for me, because obviously I guess yours yours rolled into mine. Then um, this is probably the most obvious, really. But one I wish that again I'd have known a lot lot earlier in my life, because it might have again caused a lot of uh, oh sorry um, avoided a lot of pain and a lot of expense, a lot of effort, and a lot of just kind of spinning of wheels. Um, but weight loss is not about what you eat, but how much you eat. I kind of wish I knew that. And obviously, just for clarity, for those that are uh, not aware of what I mean, in terms of how much you eat being how many calories you eat, rather than kind of what you eat. Um, so yeah, like I even remember, I was out for a run with a friend of mine, we were chatting about stuff, and we I'd been making a joke about, you know, oh, I'd you know, love to get like men's health type cover fitness model, like physique type stuff. I said, oh yeah, you could do it, but it's just a lot of dedication in it, and you just have to live on like, uh, I don't think I would have used the word clean, but that's kind of what I meant at that time because I'm not even sure I really even kind of thought or knew what clean eating was. But as in like, I remember thinking like, oh yeah, but you have to just live basically like a perfect nutrition diet, like what people think is perfect. So, and ironically, I'd been like, yeah, you have to just live on like, do loads of running and live on pasta and nuts and dried fruit and vegetables and, you know, th- these sorts of things. It's like little, like, it's so far off the mark in what's actually realistic but i just kind of figured you had to live this kind of like uber wholesome clean diet for six months to get shredded that's how that's what you'd have to do to kind of get there and it's so far from the truth clearly i think many fad diets people would avoid if they just knew that Mm -hmm. i think that i think the biggest thing would have stopped me doing is just binging and going crazy all the time because i kept thinking that because i think that was my biggest problem when i was younger is just thinking like i had to cut out all of the kind of so-called junk food and live on like whole foods and obviously again like my perspective at that time wasn't no whole foods maybe what they they are now but i just thought i just had to have this perfect diet and obviously because i could only stick to that for a few days at a time until something got in the way or you know just restricting or restraining too much and kind of having this cognitive restraint build up and then leading to binge episodes it, it obviously just wasted so much time energy and then expense on just trying all the new things when you no know, my you know the being able to eat clean or eat like whole foods just it wasn't working so you know what's the next kind of thing i can try i think that's i think that's i'm to ever next i was like when i was younger as well diet hard six days a week have a cheap day on the sunday or saturday whichever one no lose four pound a week gain three pound overnight Hmm. My, my, mine was not even that structured though as in like i didn't even have a plan like it was um you know six days and then a cheat day you know even if like like that is misguided in the cheat day and cranking up metabolisms or whatever um if that's the reason why you're doing it but mine was more a case of 
you just need to eat as whole, wholesome as you can for as long as you can and you need to be able to put out six months if you can't do it six months then you basically ain't got enough willpower and that's why you can't get in the condition you want to get to and obviously i'd then just go through periods of like smashing fucking whole packs of chocolate hobnobs you know after about three days of trying to eat wholesome um and i'm using that word wholesome because i guess that probably describes quite well how i thought like literally no context or no real understanding of anything like just because what does wholesome even mean um you know i I just thought i had to eat good like healthy wholesome foods and that was it and you think oh fucking hell um and i think like i said yeah if i'd have known that it was actually you know my body composition was mostly made up of i'll say my body composition maybe not my body composition as such because i guess obviously there's more to it than that but my the amount of body fat i was holding on to was made up with of basically I was overeating on calories and if I didn't binge fucking all the time and I leveled that out a bit and I could stick to a diet that I enjoyed but kept me in a better calorie range and took away all the um like pedestal that you create of for certain foods and stuff which creates that binge eating mentality I'd have been a lot better off in the long run but I didn't know that so I wonder I wonder how much of the fitness energy would destroy if you could force into people's head <clears throat> It's not the method of dieting that gets you there. It's the fucking principle. I mean, just... Well, you know the principle. You can choose any method you like. You don't have to go low-carb. You don't have to go low-fat. You don't have to calorie, uh, calorie, calorie cycle. You don't have to carb cycle. You don't have to carb back load. You don't need to do a keto. You need to go feed. All this sort of shit. One of most of the industry would, would just, well, destroy 90% of it because 90% of it is bollocks. But if you just force on the people's heads... You need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Calories are the principle of weight loss. Calories in, calories out. When you know the principle, take your method. Get in the calorie deficit. Find a way of eating that you enjoy. Do that. If that means you have to have two hot chocolate lobdons every day, then do what you like. If that means you feel better eating clean, and you can do that, do that. Just do something that works, that you can stick to over time. Consistency over time wins over everything else. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the, the biggest thing that gives people is clarity because if you like, if you know and believe that calories are the driver, as in, you know, credit code deficit will cause weight loss, um, it just stops the idea, it just takes away that idea that you're punting in the dark. Like a lot of people when they're trying to diet and they don't know that they're just they're guessing that feels like they're just they don't actually know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen because they're just hoping something happens based on just what they think is the right action and they kind of basically just feel that they have no control over it and they're just kind of you know, fingers crossed and hope type scenario whereas i think when you kind of realize that you could you know you i'm, I'm not suggesting like calorie tracking or um, counting calories is the way that everyone has to go but for a lot of people all of a sudden feeling in that con- feeling in control because you can you know effectively count the, the amount of energy that's going into your body and you know you can have a decent guess of how much is going out and then see the results back up those kind of thoughts that's quite empowering for a lot of people there's also a lot of the problem as well in that that can get to a point where people rely on that as a crutch and it has more negative effects and obviously i guess that's a whole another conversation but yeah i think just the principle of knowing or sorry, the, the, I guess the point of knowing what the principle of weight loss is is hugely empowering for a lot of people because, again, I say they just feel like, oh, actually, I can do this shit now. I know why. I know what I need to do. Yeah. Did you have another one? Or... Um, Cause... I had one in there. Find a, find a mode of exercise that you enjoy. It's more like, especially cardio. People do all stupid shit for cardio, and they they, they hate, hate, no, you know, running, cross trainer, rowing, whatever. Find someone you like, do that. Like I would have started jujitsu at eighteen, if I'd known about it then. I think you might even be a black belt by now as well. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. After twenty years, twenty-five yeah. years, where old you are now? Yeah, I think it would be black belt would be eighteen, twenty-eight. 17 years, it would be a black belt. Mm. You, you, I did boxing or kickboxing as well. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about obviously 18 years. I guess obviously I don't know what the average time would be to get a black belt, but I think for a lot of people you're talking in the decades and not any sooner. Although, 
Although, as um, you know, obviously Gordon Ryan, who might be considered the probably the world's best uh, jiu-jitsu player. Um, I only found out that he was only trained jiu-jitsu for the last five years, com- like c- competitively. He's only like twenty-five as well. Yeah, he's, he's twenty. He's like he's twenty-five, and he's like considered the best jiu-jitsu player on the planet. Yeah, which I mean, is ridiculous. Those guys like him and Craig Jones is another one. They have literally started their career not training three times a week, but training three to four times a day. Well, yeah, I'll set. Is it? We talked about um, John Donahoe on it before, haven't we? But he's a very much a seven days a week jobby. You come, you know, you train. There are no days off. Like they're almost, he's almost team no days off. Yeah, it's it's almost like I don't know. Obviously, where they get the funding from to start, they'll have made a lot of money or whatever they've got. But like these, some of these guys are training three, four hours a day, every day. What's the average guy doing? Twice a week, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, if you get, if you can, if you could train five days a week, then yeah. No offence, mate, but you could train seven days a week and I still don't think you're going to be the best jiu-jitsu player in the world after uh, oh, after no. only five years. Oh, definitely not. Absolutely not. I'm talking about just being a black belt. <laughs> That'd be no. nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. I can't wait to get my first stripe. <laughs> I don't even do that much gi to get a fucking stripe. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. I, yeah, no, go, go back. I, I absolutely agree. I think certainly from a... Obviously, I guess for general health, well-being, and fitness, absolutely, just pick an exercise modality that you enjoy is the best thing. Obviously, we have a bit of a bias towards resistance training for various reasons, not just body comp, but I also think it's got the got the most longevity in terms of its health um, aspects. So things like increased muscle mass and bone density, I think, have a and obviously you still you will still get some as much as people won't like to admit it or say it, you'll still get some cardiovascular fitness from it. It not, might not be really specific to certain cardiovascular endurance events, but you know your heart still gets pumping and working. You'll still see some improved kind of cardio fitness from it. So I think from that perspective, it is kind of like the best modality for me. But again, I think because in later life, it has the most applicability or the most um, positive aspects or improvements. But... But still, I think if you can find an exercise that you an exercise that you enjoy, whether it's a sport, whether it's running, whether it's cycling, swimming, whether it's dancing, whether it's you know, taking your kids out for a walk all the time or whatever, I think if you enjoy it, you're going to do it. Same principle of dieting, you know. If you can find something that suits you and your adherence and preference, you're going to do it, and that's the main thing, doing it. And I think that jumps that back to. Um, the kind of not going to get jacked after one month comment. I think that jumps back to that thinking like and the reason like that came to mind because I kind of figured or know that the biggest predictor of success in, in this is going to be how long can you stick to it for like how long like the people with the most muscle mass are the people that train the longest like you know on the whole like generally and it's the same thing like if you're going to if you want the most success it's going to be how long can you do it for and that ties in with don't do stupid shit and you go left when you're young as well hmm. Um, anything else to add on that one? I did have one more, which is what? which I think you like. Um, and it, this is uh, a kind of a last-minute addition, but keep a logbook. Mm. Yeah. Just because you see too many people not really forcing any progression. Now, unfortunately, for people that want to progress, you do have to have some form of progressive overload because we adapt to things we adapt to certain stimulus and if you don't then kind of progress or improve that stimulus then you'll stop adapting so you just won't see any further progress and i think keeping a logbook does have a big advantage or a big benefit if not i think and we spoke about this before i think if not people just go in and perhaps either a bit disorganized and don't work hard enough or they go into the gym and perhaps um they don't really push themselves hard enough based on previous weeks because i guess like you know you can make progress just going into the gym with the mentality of i'm going to train as hard as i can and hopefully as i get better i'll be able to train more or harder every time i kind of progress so if i just push myself to 10 out of 10 on the hardness scale by default or by proxy i'll be working harder and harder every week as i kind of adapt and progress and on the rare occasion someone might be able to do that but i think because there's a lot more to lifting and we've spoke about this before haven't we around like the psychology of lifting um, especially being a big factor. I think it's really difficult to just rely on 
10 out of 10 hardness to for progression because i think if i did that there'll be points in my training cycles where i would do less than previous weeks because i wouldn't almost believe the yeah. performance of a previous week in that you know you, you you know you're warming up on a squat and you get to a point where you're like right this must be a working set and you look back at your logbook and think like hell i did 10 kilos more last week for this amount of reps and you're like there's no way i did and that's, it's almost like if you didn't have it written down you wouldn't have believed you had because the thought of doing it right now crushes you so that idea of relying on like just being able to just smash the gym 10 out of 10 hardness every week without knowing what your logbooks or you know previous um performance might be i think a lot of people would underdo what they can do because they didn't realize they they did it before that makes sense because you do get it does become quite intimidating and like i there are some sessions where i do become quite anxious about because i think fucking hell this just seems ridiculously hard and heavy compared to previous weeks or my thought of previous weeks like i say if i hadn't had it written down i wouldn't have i'd have been like no there's no way i did that last week and i'm talking like squatting 50 kilos here obviously i'm not talking about heavy weights here <laughs> i'm talking it's all relative 45 50 kilos you were thinking uh, because i was joking i do i do squat more than 50 just 52 52 and a half because you because you're not like in terms of energy you you're not you may not be the same from week to week unless you can you go to bed exactly the same time your routine is exactly the same every day you eat the same thing every day you eat the same time every day you have the same stress every day whatever then week to week day to day your energy levels are going to fluctuate mm. your motivation fluctuate so you're even if you even if you go and you train to failure every week the failure point will not might not always be the same unless you know last week i did 100 for 10 failed so now i gotta go try to do 100 for 11 or whatever it is yeah. but yeah see one person's logbook they may have it on the phone mind maybe yeah, but when I say logbook, I mean it can be a metaphorical logbook or you know an alternative digital version, um, rather than obviously having to be an actual book. But I was going to say, I think um, the the points you're making around variables and things that obviously affect performance. Okay, yes, you might not actually beat a previous logbook example, and you might put it down to kind of like uh, using some form of auto regulation type training and that you, you're happy with like an RP, RPE or a rate of perceived exertion type training so that you're not expected to perhaps perform as much as there because you know some of the, the kind of the other factors of training are off and you're not, as, you're not feeling as good today, which is fine. But I suppose like my point is around there'll be some points in people's training where it becomes so intimidating to lift a certain yeah. weight that you've done before that you'll almost feel like you, you, you like you know, the point I said that you don't feel like you'd, you've done it previously it's like you're so intimidated you think oh, I can't I would have done this I can't do this or I can't do it now there's no way um, as like I said it's not only if it, if it wasn't for seeing that previous book you wouldn't believe it and obviously seeing it might just spur you on to kind of be able to you know push hard enough and kind of have the motivation to do it knowing that you've done it previously or the confidence to do it knowing that you've done it previously if that makes sense that does make absolute sense Good, cool. Enjoyed that. It's good chat, mate. Good chat. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's loads of stuff that people are probably screaming out saying, "Oh, I wish this." And obviously, perhaps, perhaps get in touch. Let us know if you're listening and do the things that you wish that you knew when you were younger, or the other things that you would have come up with. Let us know because it'd be interesting. We'll give you a shout out on the podcast as well. How about that? Mm. Huh? How about that? How about that? Um. Please, uh, could everyone do us a solid and rate, review, um, subscribe, share with their friends because it's the only way this podcast will ever grow. So thank you. We are like 220-odd episodes in now as well. So you know, if we were ever going to be big big time, I'm sure it would have happened by now. But we enjoy it, so we keep doing it. Um, so you know, it's sure one day. One day. Uh, well, certainly in terms of numbers, I wouldn't mind. There's a lot of other things I wouldn't want to be of his. Although I do like Joe Rogan. I'm not in the anti-Joe Rogan clan by any stretch in fact i quite like for the most part of stuff that he says and 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 does and you know the entertainment of it all he does just come out with some absolute fucking horseshit clearly like the latest stuff on contracting covid which i think a lot of people have really enjoyed bear in mind he's been airing more on the side of anti-vax than than anything and obviously put out some questionable information around covid in the last year or and a bit and uh, i think a lot of people have quite liked the fact that he got it and um had a couple of rough days but in the same breath, he kicked it quite quick, apparently, according to this, um, from taking a load of horse uh, drugs, didn't he? Like the horse wormers or something. So, you know, there's a lot of funny shit 
Yeah. All that, isn't it? There is. Yeah. Drink bleach and all that. Yeah. yeah, he has. He has been the subject of lots of internet memes though because of it. So, which is quite funny. So, it's worth just for your entertainment purposes, um, perhaps going and have a little look at at memes of uh, was it? Um, uh, I can't think what the drug's called now. But ivermectin or something. Like that, I think it's pronounced or something like that. It's basically this horse drug that apparently claimed to have taken a part of a massive cocktail of stuff he was doing. Um, but yeah. Uh, or uh, like I had a lot of questions asked about this, what this Nahi tweaking thing about. So maybe if people want to go look at search hashtag Nahi tweaking, that's quite a funny story. One for another time. Um, but yes, please rate, review, subscribe, blah blah blah, all that. And I hope you enjoyed the today, episode today. If you didn't, sorry for wasting time. Yeah, and we'll probably <laughs> do it all again next week anyway. So okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week.